There is nothing like the church. There is no thing on the planet Earth that has the beauty and the power and the strength and the brilliance. There's nothing like the love that the church can bring. There is nothing that has the potential like the church. The church is the very expression of God's presence on earth. And when you're a part of the church, you're a part of something that the world simply cannot understand. It is not like other things. It is a different kind of gathering or community. When Jesus established the church, he established her with such strength and, and beauty that he said that the gates of hell could not stand against her onslaught. That's the church. What we're going to look at today is how does a church become part of the church? How does a local expression of the church become part of, of the bride of Christ, this universal bride of Christ? What attributes, what essential attributes, what are the marks of the church? What are, what are the disciplines of the church that would make that a church. And so that's, in some respects, that's my outline today is I'm going to explain, we're going to look at a passage together. I'll say, okay, this is what it means for a church to be part of the church. And if a church isn't doing those things, it doesn't have the power. It's not part of the bride. And then, and then we're going to look at, okay, Grace Covenant Church. How is she playing her part in the bigger picture of being part of the church? How, how do we express ourselves in that context? The world has been changed on multiple occasions by the church. It is because of who she is. When, when the church shows herself to be all that God had intended her to be, then there's nothing that it can't do. It, it changes lives. The church changes history. As it did in the first century, it's still doing throughout the years and even today. After Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came mightily upon the people in Jerusalem at the time, and there were 3,000 added to the church that day. That's when the church started. And then in this story, it's, it's called the Acts of the Apostles in your Bible after the four Gospels. In that book, Luke is going to say in a short paragraph, these essential attributes or disciplines of the church. Here's how it looks. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of the bread, and to the prayers. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were being done by the apostles. Now all the believers were together and had everything in common. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. They're praising God and enjoying the, the favor of all the people. And then the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. So there's the paragraph. It's pretty loaded. We'll break it up. But this is how a church is part of the church. It is continually devoted to these four things. Continually devoted. It is, if, it's, if, it, if a church is going to be the church, it will be a learning church. It will be a loving church. The church that is the church is a worshipful church. It's a worshiping church. And then finally, you can see at the end, it's an evangelistic church. Now, I'm going to briefly look at uh, these four essential attributes and, and spend a little bit of time of each one. Some of them are rather familiar to you, but it, the big picture seems, I want to make that uh, clear for sure. But before we even look at those, I want you to see that they are, it says, continually devoted. 
That's absolutely key here because the, the idea of constantly committing themselves, the leadership constantly committing themselves to these four things, and the people in the church expecting these four things, the idea of this word constantly devoted is, is steadfast, focused, single-minded. And what's at stake here, what their worry is, is that they could suffer from mission drift. They could just finally get a little bit distracted over here. They could find something that is important but not essential and, and, and get lost. And that's how churches, once part of the church, just become a church. It's not even part of the church anymore. Case in point, in just a few chapters after this is written, there's going to be a significant event that takes place where uh, a, a group of people are being... Uh, neglected. And, and it's, it's an ethnic group, so it has all the potential of dividing the church. And the, so the people that are in need, there's a serious need there, and, and the people that are in need and other people that cared about them go to the leadership and they say, you guys have got to fix this. And they said, no, we don't. What we have to do is be constantly committed, devoted to the essence of what the church is. And so what we will do is we will appoint qualified men and women of great character and delegate it to them, and they'll fix it. And that's how um, the word deacon kind of gets in, invented. The, these people will serve, but they, the rest of us are going to stay on our, our purpose. And the way the book of Acts is written, it shows that the Lord's blessing was on that decision because that story ends with this. And the disciples, the number of disciples increased rapidly. They stayed on mission. They stayed committed to those four things. So that's, that's before we even get started. The first attribute here is a church that's part of the church is a learning church. It says in verse 42, and they were uh, de devoted to the apostles' teaching. As soon as the church started, right, the first thing that happened is there was a school. You know, suddenly the Holy Spirit says, we need a school, and the teachers will be the apostles. And even though they had salvation, they had the Holy Spirit indwelling their souls, they knew that wasn't enough. They still needed to be taught. They needed to learn. They needed to learn skills. And so they, this, this, the apostles continued the revelation of God. Who are the apostles? The apostles are or were a very small, very special group of men. And you had to qualify. You, uh, they were unique in that they had to experience the, the historical life of Jesus Christ, and especially hit upon his resurrection, that they had to be part of experience, experiencing him in his resurrection, that they were personally appointed and authorized by Jesus Christ to be an apostle. They were unique in that God put his hand of protection on them and their teaching. He knew what they would be teaching and what they would be writing, and so he inspired them. His Holy Spirit inspired them in a special way. So the point, in summary, an apostle is someone that Jesus has designated to speak on his name. And the apostles knew they were doing this at the time, that they were being inspired by the Holy Spirit, and they were being protected. Their teaching was being protected by the Holy Spirit because this was a continuation of the revelation that came before in other words, this teaching of the apostles, this is the New Testament being played out in front of them. It's being written. And so to make sure that everybody understood that they had this authority, that they had this title of apostle, that's where we see that the apostles were doing multiple miracles at the time. And that's how God validates, oh yeah, I'm using this person. 
This is my message that he's speaking about. He did that with Moses. He did that with the prophets. Jesus was doing this, validating his message through the miracles. And so the apostles are doing this as well. Every book in the New Testament is either written by an apostle or it is based upon the teaching of the apostles. And the, the bigger picture here, the, or the point, there are two points to this, is, is one is the, the teaching of Jesus Christ and the teaching of these apostles is serving as the very word of God. This is a continuation of revelation. It has the same authority, and that's the second part, it has the same authority as the Old Testament did. The people, the, the early church, the church knew that they were, they were putting themselves under the authority of the Bible. The Bible will define what is right and real and true, and they will submit to this. The writings or the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles are part of that, and they would say, no, no, no. we're not going to go by what we would like to be revelation. We're not going to, not what our culture says, but holy writ. And the teachings of the disciples, this was holy writ. This was what's right and real and true. And so when we say they were continually devoting themselves to the teachings of the apostles, we're saying that they were submitting to the authority of the Old Testament and this new thing, the New Testament. Second essential attribute, it says, and for a church to be the church, it needs to be a loving church. They were continually devoted to the fellowship. The definite article there says it's not just any fellowship. It's not dedicated to fellowship, just uh, coffee and donuts, right? Although coffee and donuts are a pretty big part of fellowship, at least at a church anyway. But when, he, when the, the word there, is, uh, the, um, the article there is talking about the fellowship. It's talking about this community, this body of believers. That's what they're continually devoted to. They're committed to each other. As a matter of fact, some of you might know the, the Greek word for, for fellowship there is koinonia. And koinonia means the common life. They're committed to this, the common life, this definite common life. And what, what is that? Well, first and foremost, it's what they have in common, that they're saved by Jesus Christ, by grace alone. They've been bought and paid for. They have the same owner. They have the same father. They call each other brother and sister. So it's, it's this idea of, of their heritage, that they've been blessed by the grace of God. The second thing they shared in common was their very lives, their entire existence. They shared their life and souls with one another. They shared all of their possessions with one another. As a matter of fact, uh, the word koinonia is related to the word koinonikos, and that word means generous. In other words, they were being generous with each other, with their lives and with their possessions. In 44 and 45, the verses there, it says they were sharing their possessions with all of those that were in need. When you look at the four marks or the, or the disciplines or the essential, essentials of, of the church, I would say that this one is the most important of those marks. This, 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 it's a loving church. This is the anchor. This is the backbone of the church because if you're a teaching church or a learning church and a worshiping church and an evangelistic church but not a loving church, you have nothing. No one's listening. No one's learning. No one's really even worshiping. And so this this is, this is why the final prayer of Jesus at Passover, when he's praying for you and I, when he's praying for us, when he's, he's praying for the church, he's praying that, that our love for each other, this constant devotion to fellowship, would be the thing 
that other people would be attracted to. They would know you are Christians by your love for one another. I, I pray that you would be one, as the Father and I are one, so that people, you'd have the power of the church. That's how important it was for Jesus. One of his last prayers was that. So what drives this kind of love? What, how does this kind of fellowship and generosity find its fuel? I think you'll see, you know, the more you say, the more you'll see this, that it's the relationship that the members of the body have with Jesus Christ in the context of what we've received. In other words, we are generous because we've received generosity to the point of overflowing. We give grace because we are receptors of grace past our capability of containing it. So the point is we receive grace, and so we give grace. We receive love, so we, we give love. We look at other people in the body of Christ like Christ looks at them because we've received that as well. The generosity in your life is a reflection or evidence of the grace in your life. A grace-filled person has received grace, gift, and, and, and as a recipient of, of generosity, and so they are generous in their forgiveness. They're generous in, in their service to other people. They're generous in their giving themselves to other people. They're generous with their possessions as well. It's a loving church. It's committed to the fellowship. It's committed to sharing in our generosities. And again, with the power of the church itself, when we have this collective experience where we're all being generous to one another, it gives us all the capability of being generous to each other in the church and to each other outside of the church. This is, again, you know, if, if love is the fuel that we're running on, it's amazing what we can do and where we can do it. Just this month, uh, one of the guys at the gym where I uh, hang out had, uh, had just lost his job. He was fired abruptly. It wasn't even fair, and it, it kind of shook him. It shook him pretty bad because he, he wasn't well-to-do and didn't know how he was going to make ends meet, and some guys in the gym t knew that I needed to talk to him or he needed to talk to me. And so he came over to me. He's a, he's a tall person. He's well over six feet tall, and he starts telling me about his situation, and he's starting to get weepy about it because he's so scared. I could tell this was really unrattling him, and, and, and I said, hey, well, listen, could, could, could we just talk about how maybe our church could help you? I mean, I, I'm, part of this, I'm part of this church that is famously generous, and everybody kind of like loves giving to each other, and we love giving to people that are in need, and you're a person that's in need. And he said, no, nah, I, don't, I, don't I don't think I want to do that. I said, look, okay, look, uh, what if we just, let's do this. What if we just lent you the money? And then it's an interest-free loan, and when you get back on your feet, you know, you can pay us back. Because, because we're like a family. Where I go to church, we're like a family, and some people have money and some people don't, and we all are always, you know, constantly trying to be disciplined in our giving, so for an event just like this. And again, he was a little bit nervous about that. He said, no. I, I said, okay, you've got to promise me this, okay, because I know you're in trouble. Don't, let, don't miss a rent payment. Don't miss a utility payment. Besides it getting more expensive, we, we want to help you. And at this point, like, he's starting to cry. I'm like, you know, there's no crying in an MMA gym, right? And, and like, okay, let's settle down. And, and I said, okay, listen, can you let our church pray for you? And he said, oh, I would, oh man, I would love your church to pray for me. Pray that I could get a job and I, I wouldn't lose anything. And, I, and, and then, then he's starting to cry again. I said, I, I can't pray for you now because we're in a gym, okay? A couple guys in a gym. Hey, how's it going? He said, okay, we'll pray for you. Now, here's, here's the bigger point. 
When I got in my car to drive home, I, I'm telling you, before I turned that key, I was, I, my soul was like swelling with so much joy because I love, I love this church. I love Grace Covenant Church. I love the fact that we are generous and we can go in into our relationships and say, look, I might not be able to help you, but I'm part of a family that can. It's a generous place to be, and we love to share our, with generosity, with our love, with this, this constant commitment to, to fellowship. You know, when, when Melinda and I used to live in the bleachers of the kids' various sports, I was, we were always finding our, our, ourselves going, oh, you, you know what? We have a Sunday school class on parenting teenagers. I think you would love to do that, and we would love to help you with that. We have a marriage ministry that we would love to share with you. We like sharing. We love giving stuff away. We, we have a recovery program that meets on Thursdays. Would you be interested in coming? It's, it is a blast to be part of a church that's so generous. That's one of the attributes. Find a church that's part of the church and share there. Love there. Be part of that fellowship. Give your life to that. Budget Plan ahead to give your time and your resources to the church. There is no greater investment that you could possibly make because there's nothing like the church in all of earth. We have a learning church. We have a loving church. The third uh, essential attribute is worship. There are two words in here. It's a worshiping church. Uh, the two words are, are, the first one is the breaking of the bread. They were continually devoted to the breaking of the bread. Now, again, we have another definite article here, which is telling us it's not just a breaking. It's not just, just sharing food. It's, we're talking about Holy Communion. He's referring to the Lord's Supper. It's, it's what we would call an ordinance. And they were continually devoted to this because there, there is a power in the ordinances. And, and I'll spend two weeks, in two weeks from now, we'll talk about some of the ordinances in the, in the local church. But, and so I'll save that for then. But the point of it is, is these ordinances give us an opportunity to, for example, reflect back. They tell us to, okay, think back about all you have in common with one another. Think about how you became a part of the family of God. Think about the death and the resurrection. The Lord's Supper reminds us of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And then it tells us not to just keep remembering, but it says you need to think ahead. It gives us hope for the future. No matter what happens, justice will prevail, Jesus will return, and we need to live in the context of a new covenant. And so they were constantly committed to the power of the ordinances because they're so healthy for our souls. More on that in two weeks. The next thing it says, it says uh, they were worshiping in the context of the prayers, the prayers. Now, uh, this is kind of nerdy biblically, but I, I think you'll enjoy the, the truth of it. Luke wrote the book of Luke. It's a biography on the life of Jesus Christ. And then he also wrote the Acts of the Apostles. So no one's written more in the New Testament than Luke. And one of the ways he's projecting what his theme is in both of these books is his theme is how the Spirit of God works in the world. Okay, and so that's the bigger picture. And so each, each subcategory is how the Spirit of God works in the world during Jesus, how the, God, how the Spirit of God works in the world during the church. And how does he answer that? In both books, he emphasizes the Spirit of God works in the world through prayer. And, he's, and he just shows over and over again that the power of the Spirit is working through Jesus through prayer. And then when he gets to the book of Acts, he says the same thing. The power of God, the power of the Spirit is working in the world 
when the church prays. The church is a praying church. Jesus prays, the church prays. Prayer says a lot about your relationship with God. It's almost diagnostic, right? I mean, you pray for the needs that you might have, you bet. You pray for your opportunities to change you, and the power, allowing the power of God to change you, you bet. But, it, but listen, he's not like a personal coach, an executive trainer. He's not, he's not a boss where you check in and we got our to-do list done. Okay, ready, break. I'll, I'll talk to you again at lunch. The, the prayer is, the, the, the emphasis of prayer is on a relationship. <laughs> and when we talk about, you know, pray without ceasing in this continual prayer, it's based on this value that you're in a relationship with God who has to tell a story so that we could grasp that he's the father that runs towards you when you turn towards him. That's the relationship you're in. He says, call me daddy, Abba. Father, let's have a relationship where we're just talking all the time. And they were continually devoted to that. In the early church, you can see that they're constantly in prayer. Where do we go? What do we do? We just want to be with you. A church is the church when it's a praying church. The last attribute that's essential to the church for a church to be the church is an evangelistic church. The climax of the description that's being used here, again, it's... it's, uh, it's the style of Luke that he ends this descriptive paragraph with the words that added to the number daily were those that were saved. The Lord added to the number daily of those being saved. The church was never meant to, designed for, or intended to be turned in on itself. The church was never meant to simply be in learning and love and worship and wait. It was to be turned out. It was to be focused on the world around them. And if you look carefully, it says, it says the Lord added to their numbers. So again, the idea here is that, that the sovereign God of the universe is doing the heavy lifting. We just do the easy things, right? We establish relationships. We're courageous in our conversations. We're caring and serving other people. You bet. But the Lord's doing the hard work, right? We can lead a horse to water. The Lord God can make him thirsty and want to drink that. When John Stott did uh, a lesson on this, John Stott's a, a pastor and a scholar. When he looked at this passage, he said, you know, the success of the church was not just these four attributes, but rather the implications it had on the relationships that each of the attributes was assigned to. In other words, they had four mature relationships. That's where the power of the church came from. So, sure, it's a learning church because they were rightly related to the apostles. They were in submission to the authority of the Word of God. You bet. They were a loving church because they were rightly related to each other. They were grace overflowing. They were generous. Yes, by all means, it was a worshiping church because they were rightly related to God. They were in a relationship with God. And then finally, they were an evangelistic church because they were rightly in relationship with the world around them. That's where the power of the church is. It's not necessarily what she's doing, it's who she is. And in that caricature, character, it, it causes things to happen. Now, at Grace, we've been trying to be part of the church for 50 years. We've been trying to 
be continually focused on these four essential attributes, doing these disciplines or marks of the church, and, and so that we might, you know, be blessed by God. These essential attributes are for the universal church. Now, each church kind of gets to express that, those essential attributes in the way that they feel like the Lord has called them. In other words, there's essential attributes to what it means to be a human being, and then the fun stuff. Right? The ways that that's expressed in different races or nationalities or whatever it might be. Still very human, but just an expression of that. So at Grace, okay, at Grace, the way we express ourselves, what kind of church is Grace? Are we a liturgical church? We are not a liturgical church. I know some of you don't like that. Are, are we a Reformed church? No, we are not a Reformed church. And I know even more of you are probably upset about that. Are we like a vision-driven church? Nope, we're not a vision-driven church. And I know even more of you are probably upset about that. That's just not how we came about. That's not how we feel like the Lord brought us into existence. Here's our foundational passage that we go back to to define the personality of grace. It's found in Ephesians chapter 4. So Christ himself gave the apostles, gave us the apostles, the prophets, evangelists, the pastors, the teachers to equip his people to the work of the service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. That's that's loaded, okay? I'm going to break it up for you, but... That's the passage that even the men and women that started our church went to to define us. I would say the way we put words to that now is we are a relational discipleship church, a relational discipleship church. Verse 13 shows how that plays itself, shows itself, until we all reach the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining a whole, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. In other words, we're committed to this idea of discipleship, that we're following Christ so that we might become like Christ in all of life. We're in a constant pursuit of, of helping people, like Jesus says in what's called the Great Commission, that you would teach them to obey all that I've commanded. In the relational discipleship, those, those two words, when we talk about discipleship, we mean that we're committed to people being obedient to the Bible, that that members that are, are in, enjoying uh, the Grace Covenant Church, that they're submitted to the Holy Spirit, that we are dedicated to the church. That's what it means to be the disciple, becoming like Christ in all of life as it expresses itself in how you think and how you feel and what you do. The relational part is twofold, okay, twofold. We, we believe that it's in the context of relationships with one another that a lot of this becoming like Christ and discipleship is going to take place. It's going to be having great friendships and intimate relationships with one another so that we can enjoy each other, speak truth to each other, encourage each other, reprimand each other. It's in the context of relationships. Also, relational discipleship means, you know, it's in a relationship with God. And that's why we started this semester off with the whole series called With, because it's like it's, it's about a relationship with God. It's relationship, silly And what we find ourselves having to do a lot is to help people understand that that God loves us and he even likes us. And it's in the context of that relationship that we can become like Christ in all of life. So I would say, what kind of church is grace? We'd, We'd use the phrase relational discipleship. 
Now, there's another phrase that we use a lot around here that is, I don't know, part of the environment or the atmosphere here. Uh, uh, one of the pastors just called it EBAM. We're an EBAM church. And I know. What does that mean? Actually, that's, those are initials. Every believer a minister. At Grace Covenant Church, every believer is a minister. This is a very strong belief that we're turning over the ministry to the people. Here's the passage. So Christ gave, him, gave uh, himself, so Christ himself rather, gave uh, the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastor teachers to equip his people for the works of service so that the body of Christ would be built up. So the plan that Jesus has always had for his church is to equip them with pastors and leaders and the other, the titles there, not for them to do the ministry, but so the people would be doing the ministry. So we have a phrase here. It's been a long time since we had the pop quiz. You ready? I'm just the pastor, but you're the, yeah, you're the ministers. You're the one that, the the leadership at Grace, whether it's the pastors or elders, we're player coaches. We're in the game too. But it's our job to equip the people to do the ministry. This is atmospheric here. This is part of our genetic makeup. This is not a four-part series, and then we're going to move on to another topic later. We're going to do three weeks on how to bring Christ into your neighborhood and then do something else, and then another five weeks on how to bring Christ into the workplace and then start another series to get people busy. This is who we are. It is our hope and job and task to train the people to do the ministry out there. That's the way we do things. It's the way we view life. And I hope in some context you feel kind of the weight of the responsibility for that because it's not on the priests anymore. We're all priests. And you feel also the weight of, you know, the privilege of that. One of the things that we try to do is help people understand and view all of life as though a sovereign God had arranged circumstances so that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works that he arranged before time because he did. He said he did. And we would like for you to see all of life that you are in Austin right now because in all the possible existences that could have existed, this was the best time for you to do the works of Jesus Christ. They're all around us for such a time as this. You know, the high school kids, they went on a camp this summer and it was all about the book of Esther. And Esther's this queen in Persia, a diabolical, wicked, married to a wicked king. And, it, you know, and her mentor uncle says, for such a time as this, you're the person to do this. Guess what? We are all Esther for such a time as this. You were put here for a purpose. Your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends on the soccer field, all of that. Here at Grace, we put all of our, or almost all of our eggs in, of evangelism in this basket. Every believer is a minister. We're investing almost everything in the value that you would connect with the people God brought into your life, develop great relationships that are built on trust so that you can enjoy the opportunity to pray and care and share the gospel with them. Our job is to help you to see that and to train you. We don't have an advertising budget that I, not really, unless it's, you know, just the banners on the side of our building and the postcards we hand out on occasion for you to give to friends. You're the ministers. 
You're the priests. You're the lucky ones. You don't have to be part of a special family or, or heritage anymore. Every believer is a minister. It's funny, when I wrote the sermon, I said, you need to pray that the Lord would bring people into your life to befriend. And on my last pass, like when I'm in my office, I said, no, no, no. He's done that. We need to pray that our eyes are open to the people he has already arranged before time to move in next door or to be a coworker or to bump into the parking lot in some kind of a random traffic incident. They're already there. We need to see with the eyes of the sovereign God who has worked out good works for us to do in Jesus Christ. Open our eyes. That's what we need. That's, who, that's what the church is. That's how grace has been part of the church. And that's, I guess, her personality or distinctive. In a bigger picture application, it seems pretty obvious what the application is. You should join a church. You need to find a church that's part of the church and make it your home. Do what it takes, whatever that church is, do the membership class, and then submit to the authority and enjoy the fellowship, the koinonia. Uh, we're having a membership class in two weeks here. Uh, there's information in the bulletin, but I, I'm trying not to be self-promoting here. I'm, we would love for, to have you. You should join the local church. There's nothing more powerful. There's nothing like it on planet Earth. And then when you go there, say, how do I get involved? How do, how do I help? How can I serve? How can I help others be built up? That's, that's just part of being part of the community. I, I can tell you, as from, I'll just give you two. I'm just the senior pastor of the church. Let me tell you where we need some help. Every, I don't even, not even believer, every attender is a greeter. Let's make it where every attender is a greeter if you're nice, okay? Let's just, let's put, bam, let's put parameters on that. If you're a nice person. Because of the, the, um, the amount of visibility that we have, you know, on our big building by uh, these three highways, we have a lot of people coming here that don't know anyone. And you can, you can see it in their eyes when they're in the parking lot. When they get out of their car and they kind of go, oh gosh, now what? Okay, when you see that, that's your cue. But you have to come here thinking, hey, maybe I can meet someone that's never been here in the parking lot. And then when you see them, ask them if they're new and how you can help them. Walk them to the class. Why don't we sit next to each other? Maybe even take them to lunch. Make them part of the community. As we get bigger, we've got to get smaller. And, and we have a lot of people visiting that aren't connected in any way. So if every friendly person were a greeter, that'd be a big help to us. And you mean people... You need to be nice. So that's a, that's a different homework assignment. Here's the next way I think if you're interested, if you're like, man, I want to get involved in Grace Covenant Church, I'll tell you where we need the most help right now. It takes 210 volunteers to run those buildings at the bottom of our campus. The Cornerstone Building and the Live Oak Building, the Children's Ministry and the Youth Ministry. It takes 210 volunteers, and we don't have what we need. It's been, there's a lot of different reasons. It was a weird summer. It was, it was difficult to do some of our volunteering, but you want to help change a life? That's not childcare down the hill. That's discipleship of young souls. Would you consider being involved in our children's ministry or our student ministry? That'd be a great way to serve this church. I want you to think about this for a while. Okay, just take this one home and just see if it's true. That King David would sell his palace to be part of the local church. 
that King David, in all of his glory and the way God used him, would happily turn over his crown to be part of the church. This is the sort of thing that Old Testament saints didn't even know to hope for. I know, it's easy to take it for granted. It's just us. And as long as it's not too hot or too cold in here, it'll be a good time. That's not how Old Testament saints looked at the church. Oh, they longed for the day the Holy Spirit would indwell our souls. They longed for the day when they could have this kind of community. If David would do that, what should we do? Think about that. David would love to be here. Be the church. We are the church. We just need to be the church. The church is the bride of Jesus Christ. The church is the expression of God's, Jesus' presence on earth today, the very presence of God. And the task of the church is to build holy communities by, by teaching the members how to become like Christ in all of life and then training them in ministry skills so that they might be ministers of all the people that God has brought to them. The church has had the power of transforming history and changing entire civilizations because she was, because of her holiness. Okay, it, 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 when the bride of Christ is active and alive and holy, she changes the world. And it's not because she made a list of, of, uh, of things to check off in how to change civilization. The church never sought out to change the world. She just sought out to practice those four essential attributes of the church. She just, whenever she's just holy, things happen because, because what we do comes out of who we are. And while that happens in individual lives, it happens in the church as well. And so the church, the first church in the first century, they just were continually dedicated to being who God made her to be. And the world changed. Rome fell around them and the, and the church continued to grow. In my lifetime, I've seen what the church can do. In my lifetime, I'm not that old. I saw what happened in Eastern Europe and particularly Poland when the church was the church. And, and again, they didn't get together and write a 15-point, five-year plan on how to take down communism and end this, this reign of atheism in, in Eastern Europe. They didn't. They didn't. Year one, tear down the Berlin Wall. Let's all work together for that. No, they just, they were the church and they were bold and they were courageous, but they were submissive to the Spirit of God. They practiced those four essential attributes, and the Lord blessed them. They brought the presence of Jesus Christ into their world, and the world couldn't stop them. That's the power of the local church. That's the power of the bride of Christ. You and I, we need to be the church. Let me pray Paul's prayer for us. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in his bride, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, even into the 21st century, to Grace Covenant Church, Austin, Texas, forever and ever. Lord Jesus, we are coming to a new understanding of the beauty of your bride. 
Lord, I'd ask that you would help us enjoy the powerful opportunity that we have to be part of your family, to be part of your church, to be part of the body of Christ. I'd ask that our lives would reflect a holiness that the world can't understand or explain, but is drawn to, not just individually, but collectively as grace. Lord, I'd ask that you would help us know your leading and your direction, that we might follow it boldly and courageously. God, we are grateful to be alive here and now, that we might be part of the church. We pray with gratitude in Jesus' name. Amen.